This time I made sure to hit the record button before I came up here. So no more embarrassing moments for me. Um, all right, would you please turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 19, and that's where our focus is going to be here. Again, we're, we've started a new lesson as of last week in the book of First Timothy. And by way of introduction, we are looking at the Church of Ephesus' founding by the Apostle Paul and others that are working there, uh, starting back in, in uh, Acts chapter 18 that we looked at last week. So this week, we'll be looking in Acts chapter 19. And to start off, we'll look at Acts chapter 19, verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. In verse 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time here in our study in your word. We pray that you would bless it and use it. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Help, uh, help us to all learn and grow closer to you these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our focus has been on, uh, let me get the pointer. Let's see where we are here. Uh, point one, a church is established, and we're looking at this, the establishment of the church uh, at Ephesus. We looked last week, the church's birth in chapter 18 of, of Acts, and today, after looking at a map again, we're going to look at church growth, and we'll look at that some this week and a little more next week. Um, this covers quite a, quite a wide swath of scripture. So, chapter 19, what predicates church growth? Something to consider. What is church growth founded on? Is it a five-year plan? Do you come up, start a church, and you say, okay, five years from now, this is how it's going to look. We're going to have such and such number of people, this many ministries here, and this big of a building. And uh, if we're not successful in reaching those goals, we have failed, right? Is that, is that, is that how we do this, five-year plan? Somebody else had five-year plans. I think it was maybe somewhere over in... Uh, Eastern Europe in the, in the 20s set up their five-year plans. Now, is it based on a book that somebody wrote, maybe some, with some purpose to drive you to some kind of church, some purpose-driven church? No, it's nothing like that. Is it, is it anything to do with man's devices or methods, right, church growth? Is it based on what you do? Not necessarily. There's a bigger thing, a bigger one that has to work first and is the one who does the work. Another question to consider, is it even a given that a church will grow? Whether it be, consider this numerically, which is a lot, what a lot of people focus on, and maybe I was alluding to, but is it a given that a church will grow spiritually? Something to consider. Well, if we look at what the Bible says about this, well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, God giveth the increase. God is the one who does the work. Verse 9, for we are laborers together with God, right? God uses us as his instruments to work here on this, on the earth while we're here, right? God works through us. It's not us doing the work of ourselves, right? If we're yielded to the spirit of God and, and listening to him and what he's, what he's asking and calling us to do, God will do the work through us. He'll use us. That's I'll put forth is God's way to grow the church, whether that be spiritually, which I think is the most important thing, 
I think things, good things follow from spiritual growth in the church. Numbers, what are numbers? There are churches that, like ours where we have tens of people. There are some that have hundreds of people. There are even some good, solid, fundamental, independent Baptist churches. Dare I say, Bible-believing churches. Not that the fundamentalist independent Baptists have a corner on the Bible-believing market, but Bible-believing churches in the thousands, too. It's possible, right? But what is God is in the business of saving souls and growing the saved into disciples. That's what God's business is. God grows his church both numerically but most importantly, spiritually. And any God-honoring church growth will be founded on the Bible by God-fearing, spirit-filled believers seeking to glorify the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. This is who we're doing this for, right? This is to honor God, not just look at, say, look at us and how great we are, right? The world has the corner on that market. Look at me and how great I am. Look at me and how many degrees I have or how much money I make or how big my car is or how small my car in some cases is. How big of a house I have. The world seeks after these things, right? But we're supposed to seek after him, his kingdom and his righteousness. So God may use programs and ministries of all sorts, right? We've, we've heard lots of different things, right? It can be Wednesday night services here in church studying through the book of 1 Timothy. Um, I hope God will use this. It can be a lot of churches are touting bus ministries, and I, I think I've seen Brother Chapel's church has, has been able to open their bus ministry up. So praise the Lord. That's a recent development this week. So praise the Lord for those things that are able to go out and bring people in that otherwise would not necessarily come to church. Go bring them in. But remember, devices of men don't bring the increase. That's the important thing. It's God that gives the increase. He brings the increase. So let's look in, in uh, Acts chapter 19. So that's by way of introduction. Really kind of summarizes what I'd like to like you all to get out of tonight's lesson was what we just spoke of. So Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And Paul here is in Ephesus. And he's going to meet a few people. And these people know some things, but they don't know all the things, right? They know of John, the Apostle John, or sorry, the uh, John the Baptist, I should say, and what he taught as repentance, baptism of repentance. So verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, and these disciples we find out are of John, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, consider what we, what we talked of last week in, in uh, chapter 18. The uh, Apollos, the man Apollos, didn't know these things either, right? He knew John, and he knew John's baptism. And what happened then? Well, Aquila and Priscilla met him, said, hey, come on, come on back with us to, for dinner. And they, they explained to him who the Messiah was, who the Messiah is what he's done and he believed and and went off being a great speaker and a great orator teaching and speaking and preaching and seeing uh, leading others to the lord 
And they said unto him, We have not so much heard as whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he, and he, Paul, said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. So what's important here? Paul is not sitting idly by, right? He's, he's out and about. We'll see that he's further out and about, ministering and witnessing and teaching and preaching and doing all these different things. He's not passively sitting behind his keyboard, typing little things here and there, and little quips on Facebook or Twitter or whatever else this. No, he's out actively witnessing and talking to people. He meets these men. And he understands, he, he gets to understand where they're coming from, right? He, he meets them. How are you doing? You're meeting somebody cold. Consider meeting somebody at a door when you knock on their door to give them a gospel track and an invitation to church. You don't know who they are. You don't know where they come from. What do you start doing? You introduce yourself, say, I'm so-and-so from Mid-Valley Baptist Church. We're out inviting people to church. I want to tell you about how you can be saved and know you have a home in heaven. And you tell them about Christ. But first, you, you try to understand where they're coming from. Maybe they have a background in church. Maybe they don't. But you need to understand where they come from. Make that personal connection. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing here, right? He's making the connection to these men. He's trying to understand where, they come, where they're coming from and what they understand. Verse 4, Then Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the, in the name of the, Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. And this is what we see here, right? They're baptized, but why are they being baptized? Right? This isn't to be saved. This is because they've already believed and received the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we see often. If you witness it to somebody and you have the opportunity to lead them to the Lord, 10 times out of 10, I believe, they've already done that in their heart. When you, when, you, when you lead them to say, would you like me to help you pray? This is a decision that's already been made. We see evidence in the scriptures and uh, Paul and, Cor- uh, sorry, Peter and Cornelius, uh, the men are immediately filled with the Holy Ghost and they're saved even before you can really get everything out, right? It's, it's what's done within the heart, right? The wor- your mouth makes makes a confession but it's what's done in your heart first it's what you believe and then you tell somebody about it right i don't know about anybody else but and and it's it's an amazing thing when you get saved uh you want to tell somebody about it and and uh and i I believe that's what's happening so when they were baptized in the name of the lord jesus Verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And we're not going to go into this, right? There was a time for speaking in tongues. You could say there's a time for speaking in tongues now, but doing it in proper order, right? In translating, we would say. Translating from English into ASL, or English into Spanish, or vice versa, depending on where you are, or various different languages. It's done in proper order. And there was a time and a place for these things, and these things were still going on at this time. I believe today the Bible has stated that it's clearly that these things do not exist anymore uh, in, in the manner that they were uh, during the Apostles' days and during the Book of Acts times. But these men a sign of the filling of the Holy Ghost at this time was prophesying and speaking in tongues. And we find out that there are about 12 of them that were there. 
After this, verse 8, Paul went into the synagogue, and this is a common refrain of the Apostle Paul, right? He has a burden for his people, Israel. We see that through uh, all through the book of Romans. We see uh, that he goes to the synagogue. He wants to minister to his people, right? You have that connection. Um, people that you know in an old life, in your old life, before being saved, or your friends or your co-workers, when you get saved, they're the first people you want to tell because they're very close to you. Your family would be, I mean, your family is who you want to tell if, they're, if your family is not saved, but the people around you are who you want to go to. And the Jewish people are Paul's family. Paul has a burden for them. And he goes to the synagogue, and he speaks boldly for the space of three months he has opportunity to speak versus a couple weeks and a few other times in his ministries. Disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Right? And this is, this is um, I believe, at least there's another instance of disputing uh, that we'll talk about, but I believe really it's, you're reasoning with the people in the synagogue out of the scriptures, right? We're, we're going through the scriptures. We're looking at all the prophecies of the coming Messiah and Paul's more than likely explaining to them, say, here's prophecy of Messiah. Here's what just happened in, in Jerusalem with Jesus and in Israel. Reasoning with them, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So something that I want to point out here and relay a small little story. We were out one time witnessing, and I can see the house. It's over there. And uh, we met a, we've actually met two professors of religion from the university. Uh, one lived up there, close to where we used to live in town here. And another one over, uh, over here near the high school. And um, he was trying to correct me on that Christianity should be more properly called the way. And this would maybe be a place that he goes to. But he was also had a social gospel that he also wanted to, to try to purvey and convince me of, which you're not going to find that in the scripture, to be, to be honest and to be blunt. Before that way, so moving on from that point there, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So Paul left off of his efforts at the synagogue because, okay, the, the, the people that are there that come to the synagogue, they've, they're hardened, they've hardened their hearts, or more particularly, their hearts were hardened. <clears throat> doesn't say who did it. We have evidence of God hardening hearts and, and mankind hard, hardening their hearts with the example of Pharaoh in the book of, the, uh, of uh, Exodus. But he moved his ministry from the synagogue to the school of one Tyrannus. And the commentaries that I've read through don't say much about this man. They don't know if he was, uh, some speculate, he could have been the schoolmaster of this school or the patron, the one who funds the school. Uh, but what, what is known here is that Paul and the ministry and those that were disciples of him moved to this one, the school of Tyrannus, and continued ministering to people, continued witnessing to both believers and teaching and instructing, and for those Jews who still wanted to hear uh, the things of Christ would come there and hear. 
So Tyrannus was presumed to be a schoolmaster or a patron of the school. We don't know. But Paul continued the work anyway, and the church continued to grow here. People came. And what, what do we see here? A consistent testimony of teaching and preaching the word and consistently lifting Christ up. And God is giving the increase in this case. Right? Paul is, is allowing God to use him to speak the word of God out and to teach God is moving in the hearts of people. We see evidence of that of these 12 disciples that followed after John and giving the increase. It's God that gives the increase and we're fellow laborers with, with God in that. Question number four now in your books. Did everybody get a book now? Student manual? I believe we have some in the back, if not. So question number four in your books on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being extremely successful, how would you rate the success of Paul's church plantings in Ephesus? Anybody have a number? I think when you're asked to pick a number between 1 and 10, the most common number picked is 7. Heard that someplace. It's not uniformly distributed, so do I have any 7s out there, just as a matter of course? Um, anybody have an idea? Well, I think, how do you measure success, right? I think that's a question of how do you measure success. If you're doing what God has given you to do, and God is doing that work through you, and you're yielded to his spirit in doing all of this, God gives the increase. How successful are you on that? How much are you yielded to God and his spirit? And in this case, the Apostle Paul 10. Uh, what else would you give the man? Uh, so 10, he obeyed God, right? That's the important thing. And he preached Christ. He discipled believers. He started churches all over Asia. Yeah, uh, there's volume of work there that, that uh, compare, again, it's, it's wonderful that we don't have to compare ourselves to each other, right? That, that our salvation is secure in Christ. It's not how much you do in order to get to heaven. It's not not the Mormon Jesus, which says, yeah, you're saved after all that you can do. And Jesus, I do my best, and Jesus does the rest, as their little couplets and rhymes would say. No, it's, it's I have no best to give. Jesus did it all. And all that I do after that is because I love him. I want to serve him. And that's what you see here. Paul, understanding his condition of where he came from, what he was doing, the shame that that must have caused at that time, but to have rest in Christ from that and to go on and, and serve the Lord, to persevere for him. So 10, question number five. Imagine you are part of a growing church in Ephesus. What might your church's tremendous witnessing efforts and subsequent successful start do to your thought about how likely it was that your church would face problems? So to simplify that, hey, everything's going great. Are you thinking about having problems in the church? We're going great. People are growing. We're, we're getting people. They let us spend three months in the synagogue, the Jewish center of worship and, and community. What do you think there? What might your church's tremendous witnessing efforts and subsequent successful start? Wow, too many S's there in a row. 
due to your thought about how likely it was that your church would face problems. Right? The church has been started. It is now growing and getting bigger, numerically and spiritually. There aren't going to be any problems, right? Sister Lynn? I see trouble on the way. You see trouble on the way, right? Right, there's, there's a work that God is doing there, and Satan isn't going to be happy about that. He's going to start to meddle, to stir up discord and strife, and get people to think about me, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I wrote down a couple of things here. So considering myself here, writing in the first person, if I lost focus in glorifying Christ to look at all I had done, then that pride, right, the center of I, there is no I in team, there's an I in pride, would open the door to strife, turmoil, and contention, right? If, if it's about what I do instead of what the Lord is doing, and to be, you know, to be wonderfully congratulatory to praise the Lord for all the work that he's using people to do. I mean, whether somebody wins, uh, there are churches around that place emphasis on how many souls did you win this week? Turn in your card. I actually went to one that did that one time, visited there. Uh, it, was, it was a bit strange. Um, I think there's a particular church somewhere in the country I know of it, I won't call it out, where the number of people that had gone through soul or had gone through the soul winning or recounted as souls won to Christ were more than the people that lived in the town I'm not sure how you do that I'm significantly more um, and then the other point that I want to make here is, is uh, church growth and, and what happens if problems come along so a large group of people will have differences of opinion right every one of us here is different we, we have different backgrounds, we have different things that we do, th different things that we like, and all of us have different opinions, right, in, in, in things that we like. Uh, I've heard stories of churches dividing over colors of carpet. I happen to like our color of carpet here, so no problems you're going to see from me. Um, <laughs> so a large group of people have differences of opinion, and if not yield completely to following Christ. See, that's the point. If, if it's starting to become about me, or even the click, the we, the little section off of here, if it starts becoming about I or we, and not about Christ, disagreements will arise due to our still existence in nature. Right? Our sin nature is still there. We're saved, we're born again, blood-bought Christians. And as we yield to Christ, that sin nature diminishes. But it's still there until the Lord returns. We have to be careful of that. So verse 11, the miracles of Paul and the sons of Sceva. We'll look at this too as an interesting uh, side note. What we find here is these sons tried to cash in on what Jesus and Paul had done. Right? They saw the the things that were happening in Ephesus, this tremendous church growth, and they said, we went on, we went on, on that. Our business is being exorcists, right? There's a, there's a particular uh, religious body that has a corner on exorcisms in the world today, and yeah, I don't believe it. Um, but anyways, verse 11, and God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, 
so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the disease departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. What we find here is that miracles are being done by the apostles, and we're seeing some mentioned here of what the apostle Paul had done. At this time, when the Bible is referring to, we read and hear, search the scriptures, as Jesus had said, and others, were, the Bereans in, in Acts 17, are searching the scriptures to see whether those things are so. What are they searching? What we would call the Old Testament today, right? The New Testament has not been penned. And in fact, this is one of the letters here setting out church doctrine that we'll get into in First Timothy of setting in, in, in writing what God's purposes and plans are and organizational structure for the church, how it should be set up, how to run things in proper order. But these signs and miracles were done so that, uh, so that people would know they had authority from God. So seeing great work God was doing in Ephesus, the sons of Sceva came to town and wanted in on the action, right? They're coming into town. They're considered uh, then certain vagabond Jews, and we find their occupation is to be an exorcist, took upon them to call, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. So they come into town. They're just... We find uh, the word vagabond may have a different connotation in, in modern English, uh, in modern times, too, of somebody who is maybe a bum, a train train hopper or things like this, homeless, anything like that. These are people who just, their way of life was traveling. Nomadic, you could say. Um, and they came into town, and they saw what was going on here, all these miracles that the Apostle Paul, possibly others are doing there, People are being saved, born again. Their lives are being changed. They're being healed of diseases. And they say, we went on in, in on this. They're exorcists for hire, is what their occupation was. And they said, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And this is kind of, uh, my thought here is like, okay, if we just say the magic words, we can send demons out of people. We, I, can send demons out of people if I say the magic words. This is, their, this is what I imagine their thought process is here. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? Right? The power that Paul had to cast out spirits, and that Jesus himself, God in the flesh, had to cast out spirits, is of God, and it's by faith, right, that you're, you're, that Paul was able to do this. Jesus, by his nature, being able to do what he was able to do. But what we see here with these sons of Sceva is what they were lacking was faith in the one true God. They had faith in themselves, or faith in magic words, or faith in potions, or whatever they wanted to try to do to to try to work their works. But it wasn't grounded faith in the Lord. So they were lacking faith in the one true God and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Paul's ability to do miracles was not any power of himself, but it was God working through him. These sons didn't understand this and thought that magic words was where the power, and dare I say, the money was. Right? If we just say... They're, I think, focused on what they can get out of this, right? There's a lot of I 
in, in, in their thought process here. All right, let's keep going a little bit more here. Verse 16, and the man in whom the evil spirits was left, uh, the evil spirit was, leapt on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Seven sons and one guy is coming in there and giving him one big butt whooping and uh, tearing them all up and sending them out. And in the last few years, I don't know if any of you, well, I think many of us pay attention to current events. And I haven't heard much of this recently, but there was an epidemic, I think, in Florida with uh, a synthetic drug called bath salts where people would take this drug and they would just become basically completely crazed maniacs uh, where you couldn't have, it took many people to hold them down or they were just, they were out of their minds uh, doing just terrible things to themselves and, and to others while they're under the influence of this drug. Demonic influence, in my opinion, right? You play with the, the, the pharmacia, you get into the drugs, you open the door. Uh, there was an author I read in my youth uh, who wrote a book called The Doors of Perception on Drug Use and uh, these things, and you just open the doors to a whole demonic realm in this, in this instance. And I believe in the instance of bath salts uh, in, in a couple years ago as being a big issue, a prime example. You just see it on TV. It's right there. So, after they got beat up pretty badly, verse 17, and this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. What we're seeing here is that, okay, there's this guy who has a demon in him, and coming along and saying what you want to and trying to cast him out by your power isn't working. But the Apostle Paul is able to do this. And he, now that gives him authority in and do things like this, I should say. Gives him authority and to say what what he is saying is it's further confirming what he has to say is true. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified through all of this. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So through this event, so God's allowing this event to come. These men come into town. They get, uh, they get beat up pretty severely. But now they're seeing that what the Apostle Paul has to say and the miracles that he's able to, to, to work by the power of God working through him testifies of the words that he has to say are authoritative. And this is pointing to people and saying, whoa, we need to listen to what Paul has to say. Paul has authority, and that authority is coming from God, and it's clear and evident. Through this event, many pagans who worshipped idols and worked magic repented of their evil deeds. That's what we see here in, uh, in verse 18. Repented of their evil deeds and believed on Christ. They conf confessed and rejected their former lifestyles, so much so that they ridded themselves of all their wicked items, right? We have all of our little idols and our trinkets and our magic seance books and whatever else you want to call it that they're doing. They're getting rid of it all. 
and uh, they say, you know, we are new creatures in Christ. The old things are passed away. Let's, in this case, physically and literally, get rid of them all. We don't want any part of that lifestyle anymore. There's no going back, right? It's Christ from here on out. They confessed and rejected their former lifestyles, ridding themselves of their wicked items. And they sought, most importantly here, they sought to live out their newfound liberty in Christ. Right? Liberty. That's, a, that's an awesome word. Right? Liberty not to do what you want to do. Right? We're not saved so that we can go live whatever life we want to live now. We have liberty in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. We don't have to serve sin anymore. It's amazing, right? You get that new heart, born again, washed and cleansed, and from now on, you have a choice. Before, you didn't have a choice. You had to serve sin. That's the only thing you could do. But now that the Holy Spirit lives within each believer, we have a choice. Who are we going to serve? Are we going to use our liberty as an occasion to the flesh to do things that we want to do? Return to that wickedness? Return to that vomit of our old lifestyle? Or are we going to use that liberty to honor, glorify, and serve the Lord? That's a decision that each of us get to make. These here had that now. They had that liberty in Christ and were able to now live out their life in a God-honoring manner. Just remember that, too. I mean, there are times when we all struggle and we fall and slip and slide. And, but we can get right back up. Forgiveness is only a prayer way. Getting right with the Lord is only a prayer way. All right, we're right about 8 o'clock here, and I still have things that can wait until next week. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord, for your word that you've given and preserved to us, Lord, for the liberty that is within Christ, Lord, that we see these, these here in Ephesus repented of their wicked deeds and turned to you. Lord, we thank you for the examples and the testimony of your scripture, the, the, that you, the perfection of it, the, the trustworthiness, that your son has come and uh, shed his blood, lived the perfect life, shed his blood, died on the cross, rose again for each of us, for every person in this world to call upon him in repentance of sin, faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be able to live a life honoring of you and to have a liberty in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us in this week going forward and the remainder of it to love you more, draw closer to you each day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.